Well, you're quite loud coming through. Mm. So oh, your right. mic must right. be a good volume. Hmm. Yeah, we can almost hear the bath. <laughs> <laughs> that Al washes his boys in. <laughs> oh. we, we, we were saying I, I nearly put like my uh, my mortgage payment for the month on the, on the two boys being called Luke and Butch, and I'm stunned that they're not. What are your guinea pigs called again, Al? Uno and Dos. Uno and Dos, that was it. <laughs> well, isn't that the... Um, oh, was it the Ding Dongs? One was called One and Two or something. Or was it Ding and Dong? I think we called Ding and Dong, was it not? It was the Conquistadors. Was it Conquistadors, Dos and Conquistadors Uno, then? Yes. <laughs> was it literally just Conquistador 1 and Conquistador 1 and Conquistador 2? Oh, Conquistador Uno and Conquistador Dos, because they're from Spain, aren't they? Come on. Yeah, all right, all right. I suppose, yes. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh, good God. Welcome to the Conquistadors. Tonight, the Conquistadors get together to discuss the best short-lived wrestling gimmick of all time. Making their way to the... To the what? What did you say? I'm fired. Oh, okay. Now. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'll, uh... Yeah. Oh, oh. Well, I had my uh, my guest bomber and that, didn't I? Uh, it's the last the last record. Yes, you did. You did. Yeah, listen to that. It was just an obscene show possible. <laughs> You're welcome. They <laughs> asked about my job, and suddenly we talk about waking off cows. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I mean that was literally within like three minutes. So you said your job title, and then after three minutes, they were talking about cow sperm. Well, bull well, sperm. The, um, the point. <laughs> the scrotal circumference is a true story. That is the biggest we've seen on a vet certificate. I I was daunted and impressed at the same time. <laughs> just wonder if Al's boys I see it as a challenge. Similar girl, it's a challenge. <laughs> God. But yeah, just looked into that. They just tweeted out. Anybody want to go? I was like, all right, like, okay. You ready in fifteen minutes? Like, yeah. Suddenly, I'm talking to Grado. It was neat, and yeah, now Grado was following you. Yeah. Not the Conquistadors account. No, 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 no. Following no. Just you. Oh, jeez. <laughs> just got to keep some things in the house. You know what I mean, Cam? Jesus, well, I mean, you could have had used this, you know, moment to promote, but no, 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 no. <clears throat> nah, put myself over first. That's what. That's, that's yeah, the key. Get yourself, get yourself over first, yeah, and then, then the company. Fellas, <laughs> <laughs> Matt Hardy of this podcast is all about himself. <laughs> yep. Delightful. Phil takes thirty uh... percent of everyone. <laughs> 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 oh, I heard some footsteps. Then, how's Al's headphone hunt going? You, you nearly said that right. It's going well. <laughs> Is that cutlery I can hear? Because that don't sound like headphones. He's going to stick some forks in his ears. <laughs> what can something going on? Oh. What is... Right, right then. Are you ready, Al? 
I am. Uh... <sighs> right, uh, and I, I, I'm coming across okay for everyone as well. Yeah, I can hear you. That's what we've always yeah. been able to hear you. <laughs> right. <laughs> the tone right. of Cam's voice there. In in our sleep. <laughs> okay, sorry guys. Right. I don't know why it's done that, but today it decided that I couldn't hear, so I've plugged you, these in and hopefully that'll be. sound's just gone absolutely terrible. So. Ah. So knock it down a bit because I've made that loud. Oh, right. What about now? Is that okay? That sounds all right. Yeah. Let's go with that. We'll go with that. We can hear you. You're legible. Audible. Whatever that is. <laughs> You're legible. Okay. Legible would mean writing, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> legible on an audio show. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're, and you're yeah, the see, writer in the group. I, 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 well, more than that, I am now the, the, the professionally paid writer in this That's the scary bit. Yeah, I know. Words are fun. Words are fun and difficult. <laughs> See, I'm just thinking of flipping oh, King Shark from the Suicide Squad. It's like, me read, book good, enjoy read. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I'm just picturing Cam now. <laughs> of oh. course. Me do words. In order, are good. <laughs> Speak well. Why are we doing kind type promos? <laughs> Indeed. There we go. Indeed. I can't wait for Phil to try and edit this disaster piece together. <laughs> it'll be it'll be a tight and compact two minute intro. I think it was a tight and compact two minute show. I'm like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, two minute long conquistadors. That'll be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Selling the show to the listeners. <laughs> two minutes is best. This is your two minute Patreon exclusive podcast. Get get it on YouTube Shorts. Yeah. That's all we'll do. Yeah, we have under 10 YouTube seconds. Shorts, that is just the dumbest thing. I mean, why why compete with the... Because it's like the same angry. idea and no one's got an attention span anymore. <laughs> what? That's, that's exactly. Sorry, sorry what's could... Indiana Jones chasing after a ball on my laptop? What's going on? Yeah, exactly. It's just rubbish. <laughs> yep. Just... Indiana Jones is rubbish. No, I'll tell you something. I, I, for a pound in a charity shop the other day, I bought oh, the uh, box set for all well, the first four Indiana Jones movies. That's, that's, that, that can't be correct because there's only three actual Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> well, apart from that's what I've heard. Uh, but sadly, I had a little label attached to it that just said, does not contain Raiders. <laughs> wow, oh. so it's the fourth one, but it doesn't have the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, I would have yeah, returned yeah. that. Charity that, shop or not. No, no, no. Well, I thought for a pound, for like th- you know three quarters of... The franchise so far that's all right and you know what you know what i i would i wouldn't die on the crystal skull hill but it's not a terrible film I would there's terrible things in it but they I, are like I, I, you know just... it's one of the few films i've almost walked out of i think i've only seen the ending and that was it you you're spared it, yourself then it's terrible it is just terrible thank you al <laughs> Honestly, there's nothing worse than it. Nothing, I don't think. Wow. Syphilis. <laughs> Child poverty. No, those kids haven't Amorites. seen the Temple of Crystal Skull. They don't know what real trauma is. You know, salt and vinegar crisps after a paper cut. <laughs> Drinking orange juice Drinking. after washing your teeth. Oh, oh yeah, that's, that must be. That's, that's surely worse than Crystal Skull. You know what the worst thing is? What's that? 
when you bite into something and you get an unexpected crunch? Well, it depends on what it is. If it's crisp, exactly. then... Well, I suppose no, if it's crisp, you're going to expect a crunch. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> if, you, if you, like, bite into a sandwich and there's, like, a crunch and you're, like, just for a second, you're, like, was that a tooth? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. That's the yeah. worst thing. You're, you're on fire tonight, Cameron. <laughs> yeah, I am. Absolutely on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Professionally Whoa, paid. My cab is on fire. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I wouldn't advertise that. Okay, no. Jeez. <laughs> anyway, we're cracking on. Are we? That's genius. I've got a little pill to begin with. Oh, All right. okay. All right. Well, I can't remember if, I, if I've told Cameron this tale or not. I'll um, let you know as soon as you start telling it. Did Did I tell you about me going to wrestling? Um, right. I have heard secondhand this story, but I have not heard it from you <laughs> yourself. Secondhand? What, for the police? Oh, you've heard it secondhand. Who's been telling you my stories? I would not possibly want to give any anything away. <laughs> well, uh, it's no one at work, so I guess it's got to be who I went with. Uh, I don't know who you went with. Oh, I went with uh, Cameron. All right, okay, right. Uh, Cameron doesn't know. I'm so confused. Other other Cameron, that is. (laughs) Other Cameron. Yeah. Not me. (laughs) I know who you went with. Got tickets for the um, the house show at Newcastle last Sunday, it was. Yeah. Can I ask how we begin the story, why? Um, because I go to the mall, so just out of sheer... All right, fair enough, carry on. <laughs> sheer routine, I have to go. Um, yep. So we got tickets, and uh, there's a friend that I bumped into him in town uh, on the day, and he said he's got two tickets because um, his wife, him and his wife are splitting up, so he had two tickets spare. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, he says there is... Um, the six rows back from ringside if I want to buy them. So I'm like, okay. So we get the ticket six rows back from ringside. We're only in the aisle. All right, okay. So, oh, no. nice. So there I am, you know, out the cup. I'm sticking my hands out, you know, like I'm 14 or something. Yay. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, there's a nice little tag off Rey Mysterio. Oh, yeah, because nice. you love him. <laughs> sucking up to him now aren't you and then um, and then who else did I get I got his son Dominic as well and then uh, Shinsuke and Drew McIntyre yeah so that was pretty cool uh, oh nice but, but the highlight the highlight was I went and got um, I, I always get a signed picture every time I go I try and get one of the autographed pictures to sell so we, we queued for ages at the merchandise thing and they have Seth Rollins, which I've got, and Roman Reigns, with the gut, which I've also got. Uh, but they had Becky Lynch. So I'm like, okay, All I'll right. pay 15 quid for Becky Lynch. So that's fine. So anyway, we wait till the main event, and it comes on. And Becky's playing the heel, isn't she? So yeah. I'm like, okay, so um, what's she called? Bianca Belair comes down, and she literally pays the fans no attention at all. She she just, to me, did not want to be there. She gave the complete impression she didn't want to be there in the slightest. So anyway, uh, Becky Lynch comes down. She gets a good pop. So she's coming down the aisle doing her heel, ignoring people. And the lasses behind me have got um, some sort of poster. So she stops and she gives a thumbs up to this um, poster. I don't know what was written on it. But I'm next to it with with me Becky Lynch signed picture held up. 
right? Like that. <laughs> and then and then she turns to me and gives me a nod. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that moment and that, that moment Al became a man. <laughs> <laughs> and and Cavalry, which I didn't know, actually filmed it all. So I do have I do have it on oh. film. That that oh, needs nice. to go on you. That needs to go on the Conquistadors Twitter account. I'm very sorry. <laughs> that, needs go, that needs to tweet out. You need you need to get in touch with the Conquistador social media manager, Al. Uh, <laughs> never far away from his phone to answer any queries on Conquistadors. So to me, that what? really made the night. I thought it was a pretty decent house show, but yeah, that was that was really good. That was I like. No, that's <laughs> neat. Wow! Uh, Al's Al's adventures in uh, wrestling is awesome. I like that. Uh, I've not been to a live wrestling show in like almost two years. Uh, I went back to Target last month. I missed the last one, but I went to the the one in uh, August. That was the last. That was the first show back in about eighteen months. Yeah, I've I've never been to one. Wow, which is disgraceful. (laughs) I understand if. If your boys land at Cardiff for SummerSlam, like they're suggesting, yeah, I know it's shoveling money into the more of a beast that hates us and just spits shit back into our faces. But <laughs> whoa! <laughs> but I would quite fancy to see a SummerSlam. So if it is landing in Cardiff, that might it's, very well be a ticket. It's one of the things. Money. If it's like in the UK again, because they're doing thirty years after SummerSlam '92, yeah. then you kind of have to at least make the effort, wouldn't you? Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> the Conquistador's road trip for that one's off there. <laughs> Never mind. Well, I've got to say, I'm looking forward to this show because I'm curious to who's everyone's picked. Uh, we've just been talking about that, and my preparation for this show took an hour. <laughs> That's every single so match. That about on, on, double your normal prep you normally do then, I suppose, then, yeah? No, 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 no. Usually it's at <laughs> least three hours for the show and then like two hours for writing notes and then an hour to get everything put together, Phil. I'll have you know. <laughs> Don't decry my efforts. Social no, media manager saying, yeah. and podcast extraordinaire. That's what um, Wikipedia's for. Well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> yeah. So what, what is this show about, anyway? What is the kind of, what is the gist of this shambles of a podcast that I'm going to have to try and wrangle in some kind of editing order. I'll, I'll explain his idea. So, Becky Lynch, give me a nod, right? <laughs> um... <laughs> See, he's done that, so I've got, I've got to keep the entire Becky Lynch story in now. Could you know I just held out your, your photo and got her to come closer and then just went, listen to Conquistadors. <laughs> <laughs> And then maybe we would have had, like, you know, the, the, the WWE Women's Champion illicitly. Tweeting us out. You know, we are after We'll tweet her after the show. We are after all the sister podcast of Wrestling Daft. Exactly, the official sister podcast. Of Wrestling yes, Daft. Wrestling Daft, Daft and Wanking Cows. Which, which <laughs> yeah. I think Rab Florence kind of, like, said in an off-the-cuff remark that he would then think nothing else of, but didn't realise how much we'd take that to heart. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the legend was born from there. It was yep. immediately a verbal contract that will now be included in every single show notes that I write for the podcast. Much, yeah, 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 yeah. The sister podcast of Wrestling Daft, yes, exactly. The That'll official. Be the official. The official. Sanctioned sister podcast of Wrestling Daft. So Anyways, what was this flipping show about? Al, come on. Anyway, Al, come on. 
Right, what I wanted it to do is a little snapshot of uh, a wrestler's career. A relatively short career gimmick period of time, whatever you want to call it. And just go through a short amount of matches, why the character worked, why the character didn't work, what, what the fans liked, what the fans didn't like, did it have potential, was it dead in the water, that sort of thing. Okay. Brilliant. So I'm, I'm hoping we've all picked wrestlers where that can be applicable to. Uh, I yes, think I'm looking, looking down my list of three, I think I can certainly give, give that. I think I've inadvertently done three, but I will explain more at the time. Okay. <laughs> I've done two. Have we so got a running order for this? Not really. We're just going around in a circle. So whoever wants to go first can go first, and then we just take it from I'll there. I'll go first go. if you want. Yeah, let's see you and go first. So this one comes from the era where I would watch Wrestling Challenge when I was on Sky Sports at five o'clock after I came home from work and so I came to the realization that mid-90s WWF was kind of shit. Not much going on there, but there was one man who captured the hearts and minds of many and that man is Harry Del Rios, otherwise known as Fantasio. Oh, I had a look at him. I did have a look at him when I was looking around at Funkin' He's the magician guy. Yeah. Oh, my God. He'd like to see his face paint five years early. Yep. Yep. He debuted on the July 16th episode of of Wrestling Challenge. He was a babyface at the time. He came out. He had a black and white mind mask. Um... He'd also missing face pace when he took his mask off, and uh, he beat uh, Donny DeVito. Do you want to know how he beat Donny DeVito? I know how, but you tell us, Ewan. So what happened was, Fantasio snuck up behind DeVito from behind and pulled his boxers, pulled out his boxers, allowing him to roll up for the win. (laughs) And then he removed the boxers of Earl Hebner. And after this match, he never appeared on television again. (laughs) I thought you were going to say he like did a magic trick in front of him or something. Just you know, held up a hat nope. and then was about to pull a rabbit out. Wait, what, wait he... a minute! He just... Holy smokes! He just reached in and he just uh, took uh, DeVito's underwear right off from him. He reached right down into DeVito's tights and pulled oh, off his oh, underwear. And they're nice oh, underwear. They're boxers oh, with flowers. So that was his only appe- That was his only actual ever appearance. One episode of Monday Night Raw. Sorry, one episode of a wrestling challenge. He did this on a dark match, wrestling as the Spellbinder, but again, that was a dark match. And uh, he also wrestled a bunch of house shows against Mark Henry in Tennessee of December of 1997. <laughs> oh, wow. Early Whoa. Mark Henry as well. Yeah, early, you know, not really having a clue what he's doing, Mark Henry. <laughs> but do we know, do you know that we actually have seen Fantasio in a different show that we've watched? And I can tell you which one I it think is, so, so but I'll let, I'll let somebody else guess. I... So, remember, so what do you think, guys? Like, you talking about him, but I remember Googling him going, that's not a wrestler. Oh, wait, it is a wrestler. But mm-hmm. I cannot remember. I think I'm going to say it's a WCW show. No. Ooh. Harry Del Rios wrestled as Del Rios on NWA TNA's first ever broadcast. He was oh, in the God. Battle Royal, he was. Well, yes, he was. Oh, was. God, that shit rumble thing they had at the end. What a yep. poor bastard. Oh, my God. 
like, I, I get, like, you know, there's, like, tiers of careers in wrestling. You know, only one person mm-hmm. can, you know, be champion and, you know, a couple of people can re- main sure. event WrestleMania and that sort of thing. But to have that career as Fantasio and random guy from the first TNA pay-per-view. Oh, oh and here's the kicker. That was his only ever appearance on TNA. <laughs> he's, a, he's a one-match wonder. Oh. Wow. Like, so when we like when the phrase, like, stick around for a cup of coffee, I don't think he even got that. No, no, he didn't. I don't think he even warmed through. I think it was still doing the thing with the, you know, the making the noise and brewing the tea, and that was it. Yeah. He's gone out know, the door. It, yeah. it had yet to emit steam. <laughs> however, however, this was not the end of Fantasio because in 2012 he came back on a pro wrestling syndicate show to defeat Simon Dean. <laughs> of course, he came wow. Back. Of course, was at some point like nostalgia's got kicking for that period, isn't it? Like I don't know if the goons yep. would come back in or Dumpster Drosy and those sort of guys because well, the other yeah, two were in Battle Royal at uh, WrestleMania 17. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you know. Uh, at some point, like, there'll be kids who, like, that was the first wrestler they saw, and they thought Duke Dumpster Trophy was really cool, or Fantasia was really cool. Nobody so ever thought Duke Dumpster Trophy was cool, come on. Uh, Not even a kid with a head injury would think that. <laughs> but there's got to be, like, somebody out there with nostalgia for them uh, somewhere to at least buy, like, off their Pro Wrestling T-Store, like, the one T-shirt. <laughs> I don't well, think Fantasia uh, would have sold any T-shirt. Oh, no, 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 no. Fantasia could have sold a t-shirt. It would have the date of this episode of Wrestling Challenge and it just says, Fantasia, I was there. <laughs> also, it would, have, it would have sold to the 150 people that were there at the time. <laughs> I'd buy that t-shirt. That sounds really cool. On a very quick side note, at the Newcastle show, they were selling the Newcastle 316 t-shirts. No. £30. I did notice that Drew... Yeah. Drew McIntyre had wow. a Glasgow 316 when he had right, a Glasgow house show. So that must have been a Stone thing they were just, doing. Stone Cold's just selling out to everything now, it would appear. Yeah. That, oh my God. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So anyway, anyway um, Fantasio. Here, now. Well, that was it, really. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Yeah. 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 That was it. Certainly not forever. Uh, nope. Well, wow. And not together wow. either. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll step up to the plate for mine next then. Guys, guys, come closer, come closer. Let me take you back to the heady days of May two thousand and fifteen. Oh no! Ooh, uh, we okay. have the fresh, we have the freshly crowned King Barrett uh, beginning a feud with Neville and Stardust on Yay. TV. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We have the NXT Takeover with um, Finn Balor was supposed to team up with Hideo Itami, but someone did his shoulder, and it might be Kevin Owens. And Kevin Owens wins the belt for the first time. Uh, in Japan, AJ Styles has this in the middle of his second run with the IWGP Heavyweight Championship belt. That was and good times. On an episode of Main Event Wrestling. On the WWE Network, Damian Sandow first uh, is in a match with one Curtis Axel, and they form a team oh. forever known as the Meta Powers. Oh my God! <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Now, what we have wow. here is a, is, a, is a confluence of events. For you see, uh, Curtis Axel was currently still in that year's Royal Rumble, as we all as we're all aware. Coming to the ring, he was jumped by one Eric Rowan. Which meant that yeah, he was right. never eliminated, and thus began Axelmania. Yep. 
Yep. Uh, at the same time, Ms., uh, Damien Sandow was Damien Mizdow and split from the, the Miz in one of the worst finishes to a, 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 an angle that's ever been done. But regardless of that, ah, that, that uh, that's that's about that's the show in itself. I think I would, without wishing to interrupt, I would posit that anyone who splits from the Miz is, a, you know, it's a crap program once they do the feud. <laughs> but there was no end to it at all. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, so they're in a match. Uh, they have a promo backstage on the main event where. Um, Sandow accuses Axel of uh, pretending to be Hulk Hogan not doing it very well. Don't ask another question, Renee. And let me tell you something, brother. I mean, sister. The only thing this dude can do right here is imitate other superstars. He's a one-trick pony. Just look at him. He doesn't train. He doesn't say his prayers. And he doesn't take his vitamins. Stop, stop, stop. You're just mad because... I could do Axelmania better than you. Yes. Okay. Bit of advice. If you're going to do something, commit to it. The WWE Universe knows what's good and what's bad. That is bad. Okay. Let me tell you something, Axel brother. When was the last time you were in Venice Beach hanging and banging, dude? As a matter of fact, what about we do this tonight? Axelmania versus Sandowmania, brother, and what you're gonna do when Sandowmania runs wild on you. I gotta say that Damien does a better Hulkamania than you do, Axel. He, he nailed it. It was so good. You, you can't do this. That's, you can't do, Renee, he can't do this. That's mine. I can't do that? Okay, so I, I can't do Sandowmania. Uh, what about Macho Mandow? Dig it! Oh, I remember this. So he comes to the ring. They're having a match. He's wearing the glasses. He comes out to bump from circumstance. They're doing the whole bit. And who interrupts the match but the Ascension? Yes. <laughs> the longest-running tag team, uh, NXT tag team champions, the Ascension, come out and interrupt the match. Making the uh, the situation that Sandow rescues Curtis Axel. And then with a handshake that can be barely be brought together because the power of their two their me- mega powers forms the tag team that was the meta powers. Uh, they then wrestle on the next week's Raw, which is basically like a whole rerun of the, that first match only lasts a minute rather than the five minutes they had on, on, on main event. Of course. And then yeah. they, they appear on the Payback 2015 kickoff show where they are defeated by the Ascension. I was very upset with that, yeah. <laughs> Then on an episode of SmackDown um, in May, middle of May, they defeat the Social Outcasts of Heath Slater and Adam Rowe. Oh, God, I forgot Social Outcasts was a bloody thing. They some utter shit in 2015, didn't they? Yeah. They then get defeated by the Ascension again at the end of May, uh, sorry, the end of June. And then, unfortunately, what kills the gimmick is one Hulk Hogan is revealed to be a massive racist. <laughs> was that it? Oh, of course, yeah. That was, that was the infamous recorded phone call. Yeah, because um, uh, Curtis Axel's coming out with the Fu Manchu moustache, the trousers. He's coming out to Real America and he had the headband. Very quickly, the gimmick was dropped. Matramando was dropped. <laughs> and the team was forever split up. So we never had the Metapowers explode. We had, could have had that entire like year-long build to that main event at whatever paper, kickoff show that would have been. And that was effectively like the knife in the back for both of their careers for Sandow and Curtis Axel. I think they were released. Well, I think um, Sandow was released the next year, 2016. And Curtis Axel, yeah, I think, went a bit I was longer say, before Sandow he was released. Sandow has been released for a long while. Yeah. 
Because he and reappeared he... in TNA for a while, didn't he? He did. Yeah. I think he's and still he's... a huge champion now. Um, no. No, and uh, <laughs> he's on NWA still. Hmm. I guess I, I think he's an NWA champion at the moment. I haven't watched NWA Power in quite a while, actually. Neither have I, because they keep hiring people with questionable records, but never mind. Yeah, never mind. Uh, Curtis Axel later formed the B team with Bo Dallas, and he'd win the belts uh, for a period, and then he was actually kicked out in the great release of April 2020. That's ah, when Curtis Axel was actually lasted list, a fair old while. But we had yeah. a glorious about a month and a bit where you had two guys who were struggling to find a gimmick for ages. Uh, Sandow off the back of probably what was his kind of the best gimmick he had even though it was a terrible gimmick to begin with him as the Miz's stuntman ended up being actually really good and the way that the whole thing was just massively dropped and fumbled was uh, a great tragedy but he kind of almost came back with this gimmick the crowd loved it Uh, I don't think he ever actually got to do the big elbow as Macho Mandow he kept going up and then he'd always be pushed off by the attention and beaten by them oh boo Um, when they did the when they did win their one match, it was with the big leg from um, Curtis Axel. So even in like a, someone stealing his gimmick, Hogan always gets himself over more than the other person. <laughs> wow! But that was it—a glorious period where you had two guys pretending to be two other wrestlers was really good, and then ended because one of them was the massive racist. The real one was a huge <laughs> racist. Yeah, huge racist. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So that's my that's and- my glory period because. I've got a big, massive soft spot in my heart for Damien Sandow. I thought he was brilliant. He was probably one of the first guys that, well, in that era, definitely, he's the main guy who was was taken on a regular basis, like, as they say, chicken shit and making it a chicken salad. Because, as you say, the the stunt guy for The Miz was genius. Yeah. It was whenever The Miz would take a bump in the ring and then he'd be outside the ring doing the same thing. The best bit was when he won the belts and then Miz would come out with both belts and Sandow would have the kids' toy belts. Yeah. <laughs> like just... over his shoulders. Like the whole, yeah. like the, whole uh, the Rose Scholars tag team he had with Cody Rhodes. Yep. Where they, sh- they shake hands and do cartwheels. It was amazing. Like, he, like whatever he did, he was so good. And yeah, he just kind of, it just petered out in a really, like, a really kind of shame. Like the way he held the microphone like a brandy glass when he was like the first kind of Damien Sandow, your welcome yes. character. I distinctly remember him going out to wrestle a match on NWA Power about a couple of years ago and purposely wearing, like, skin tone trunks. <laughs> I think I might be saying oh about God. this before. <laughs> so purely, he had, a, like, a, like, a robe on, and he took off the robe, and you could so <laughs> tell the audience for just a couple of seconds, like, oh, jeez! <laughs> oh, my God! Oh, no, it's not his trunk, it's fine. Damien's Anders like, new naturist gimmick. Yes, like, <laughs> it was just like those two, the Johnsons from the TNA pay per view. Yeah, well, ah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But oh, yeah, Damien Sandow was amazing. Well, you know, still is for you know, cool and you know, just before yeah. the pandemic, he was doing that stuff on Bend Way with the question mark, and was coming out and sort of singing, you know, saying, you know, with the. Um, the question mark sort of saying, you know, national anthem. Yeah, it's like gonna go, you know, if you please stand for the you know, Grovian national anthem, and it was just him, you know, going. I think the guy who played the question marks now sadly died, doesn't he? Yes, he's dead. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he was sitting there, you know, props to him because he was sat there on the microphone, just going, "Hey, oh," ah. <laughs> and they were just like solemnly saluting in the middle of the ring with a flag <laughs> being unfurled. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, oh yeah, Damien Sandow, mate. Yeah, awesome. 
yeah. with him being in the uh, the meta powers, you know. <clears throat> yeah, they 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 weren't they weren't there long enough for us. But what a glorious period that was, May 2015 to end of June. Well, I think on the house shows they kind of went through to like like middle of July until literally I think Hogan had to be uh, was um excommunicated from everything. Yes, so <laughs> Curtis like... lost his gimmick in a heartbeat. So there you go. That's they must mine. have like a they must have like an absolute red button on them legends contracts that basically means they can just jettison <laughs> you at a, you know at a moment's notice. Probably. But wow. But but you know, Hogan was brought back this year at WrestleMania because well, who's who better to get the spirits of the Americans and the worldwide nation up as a giant racist? <laughs> yeah, exactly. next to next to Titus O'Neil because he can't well, be racist because he presented with a black guy. Yeah. Maybe that means that we can have WrestleMania back. He can come back to the WWE. As that's oh. mania, we can get, we can bring him back. That'd be great. We, we, we never had the Hollywoods Axelmania. We, we all that kind of like that big. Period, but there was so much they could have done with those gimmicks going forward. You know, all the kind of different things yeah. they could do. Lost like tears in the rain. They probably could have just like got some random lassie that was there at the time to play the Elizabeth role. Totally, that would have been that would have been, been mixed up. I think. The only problem was you watch the matches back. Like a lot of them have got JBL, and he keeps calling Damien Sandow Damien Mankow. Oh, for fuck's sake. And it's just like, nah. Bless her, JBL, the better. I think we should have Cam X and save Al for dessert. Oh, my. Yeah? Is this, so this is round one, and then we go around the table once more for round two, yeah? And then yeah, we just we'll do, do two rounds. Well, actually, I, I don't mind going next, because... We're on a sort of topic that is, is applicable to mine, actually, now that um, uh, when uh, Phil mentions Hulk Hogan impressions. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, because, uh, you know, I, I asked, I, I text Al when we were sort of organising this and I was thinking about it, and I was like going, can I have a wrestler who stayed in a company for just a couple of matches and then moved on? And he was like, yes, I suppose so. So I'm like, OK, I know exactly who I'm doing. Um, I will give you, ladies and gentlemen, we've heard of stunning Steve Austin. We've heard of Stone Cold Steve Austin. But in oh between no. that, he was superstar Steve Austin. Yes. I will give you Steve Austin's incredibly brief four-month but only two-match um, run in ECW. In wow. 1995. This, this wow, was a glorious period of time. Which he debuted uh, against Mikey Whipwreck at the November, remember, 1995, November the 21st, 1995, uh, and wrestled Whipwreck in the title match. Um, he starts off the match by saying, uh, you know, just for tonight, um, Whipwreck, your name is Eric Bischoff, and the crowd go fucking nuts. <laughs> and then he actually, at one point in the match, um, does a big boot and then runs off the ropes and there's a leg drop and then um, Joey Styles calls it you know the leg drop from the Steve-ster and then when it only gets a two count Joey Styles goes that crap don't work here wow um, there's, God bless uh, ECW the mid-90s you know what I mean God yeah, bless exactly. him I think he was more known I think Steve Austin's sort of run in ECW was more known for the promos rather than the actual matches it's kind of like um, Mick Foley's run there it was 
it was more sort of a chance for them to to build a character to bring back to the big leagues as opposed to exactly. put wrestling matches it was, the, it was a place for them to play around with things that creative or like rebuild a bit yeah exactly yeah yeah I think in the first match as well he's still got long hair yeah that's and just wrong by the second match in ECW he's shaved off the next month Steve Austin should never have hair yeah um, so he ends up Mikey Whipwreck ends up uh, sunset flipping Austin and pulling the trunks to pin him uh, in the first match at November remember to retain and then on December the 12th 1995 on an episode of Hardcore TV it's a triple threat match between Steve uh, Steve Austin Sandman and Mikey Whipwreck for the title uh, Sandman isn't even there for the start of the match he takes like 10 minutes to actually arrive with the woman. He's, the bar. Yeah, he's doing his tour of the crowd I think it's maybe that he was shall we say trying to get himself into a condition to perform um, <laughs> because when he appears Taking like most Sandman matches no he looks hammered <laughs> absolutely hammered out his face that sounds about right um, it's, uh, so it's apparently supposed to be a triple threat but uh, Whit- Whitwreck and um, Austin basically hold the um, the fort for the first 10 minutes Austin also does the um, Hulk Hogan running around the ring and then doing the you know cupping the ear thing for a little while <laughs> oh, uh, which I think gains him a, 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 gla- a sort of container of beer chucked his way uh, and not in, a, not in a way that he would usually catch and then drink for the, you know, the latter part of his career um, yeah. they essentially um, then start whacking each other with beer bottles when Sandman is there uh, Sandman does his usual thing of like taking absolute battering from Austin in this match but then still kicking out at one because I think he's just so plastered he doesn't know how to count <laughs> um, it's kind of like that match that Sandman had with Mick Foley for the Texas death match and then I was about Sand- to say that where Sandman forgot Sand- the rules Sandman keeps forgetting that he has to stay down for ten <laughs> just keeps getting up at three um, and then um, yeah and then Sandman ends up winning uh, by pin and whipwreck um after brass knuckles get involved, um, Austin Can we has him to the proper wrestling way. Brass knucks, please. Brass knucks, yeah, sorry. Thank you. Um, Austin has his foot on the ropes though, but the referee doesn't see it. Oh. So um, Austin ends up being, you know, Austin ends up then battering the referee at the end of the match, and that is superstar Steve Austin's brief sojourn into the world of extreme. Um, it's obvious, obvious that this is the bedding ground for the Stone Cold character. Obviously, we'd have to go to the ringmaster first. I was going to say, it makes perfect sense then for WWE to bring him in, make him silent and put him with uh, Ted DiBiase. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Ah, yeah, exactly. This is what they do. It's, it's, it makes as much sense as putting Adam Cole as uh, Keith Lee's manager. Um, and changing his name. Um and so yeah, I was just I was just sort of thought as soon as Al said yeah you can you're away with that I was like yeah well obviously it's like you know it's Steve Austin's two matches in ECW has to be a short lived gimmick but had <laughs> massive ramifications for wrestling going forward. That is a if you don't mind the pun that is a stunning one that one. It is yeah I mean he's not even got the stunner he's got the stun gun but not the stunner. Yeah. So we've had a magician, we've had two men who just can't seem to find something that lands, and we've had a very angry drunk man. 
What is Al going to bring to the table? Well, okay, something else again. But uh, here we go. I will, I will, uh, I will tell this tale. Gather round. Back round the campfire. It. Uh... I'm trying to think. I never thought of the introduction to this. I've thought of everything else, but not how to introduce it. So, <laughs> my guy was brought in uh, with the attention of not being a wrestler. However, okay. he, in the end, he had to be a wrestler. If I told you he made his mm-hmm. television debut, not wrestling, but just appearance, at WrestleMania 8. Ooh. Um, right. And then would follow it up when he was had to come back to the ring. He would uh, follow it up with the most homoerotic debut ever. Lex Luger. That's the one, Phil. That's the one. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Ooh, look at the quads. Oh. <laughs> look at the biceps. Don't tease us, Lex. Don't tease us. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, feast your eyes. Feast your eyes on that mass. Look at the muscle mass. Look at the biceps! Look at the chest! Look at the abdominal region! Look at the thighs! Oh, yes! You are the greatest creature! Gifted! You are gifted! There's only thing I can say! Oh, yes! Oh, look at the definition! Oh, yes! Look at that! Look at that! Look at that! Oh, my God! Oh, eat your heart out! Ladies! Ladies! Do you like what you see? Oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. Oh, look at the definition here. Look at the thighs. Look at that. You'll never see another set of legs like that. Oh, yes. Look at those biceps. Look at the size of them. Perfectly proportioned. Oh, look at those arms. Look at the veins. Are you ever put together? Like a washboard, like a washboard. Look at the muscular. Oh, like words can't describe them. This is what it's all about. This is the highlight of my career. It's an honor, it's a pleasure to have been able to stand here and unveil you to the millions of people. And now as the curtain comes down, let's see some more, just a little more. Look at the back, look at the sides of this man. Look at the legs. Please, let's see some more legs. One more shot of the legs. Please, one more time. So we will be um, (laughs) just going over the narcissist gimmick. Oh, I remember the narcissist being a really good gimmick. Right, so as well from back in so the day. He's he signed uh, in '92 or '91 from WCW to do his um, what's it WBF. That's what Vince wanted them for. The WBF, the World, yeah. the World Bodybuilding um, Federation, yeah. Because he couldn't wrestle for a year because of his contract. But Luger broke his arm in the motor, you know, motorcycle accident, so he couldn't do that even. Um, I think they had him doing some sort of like reporter's role at one of the at one of the shows, but it flopped so badly there was two shows and and no more. But on a little side note, I read apparently Lou Ferrino had signed, um, hmm. which is like, it explains yeah. why he popped up at WrestleMania Seven. If you remember when he was randomly there, yeah, oh, yeah. The wasn't he? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. However, there was no yeah. proper deal done or whatever, and he backed out. And there's there's some heavy rumours. It was because they were bringing in steroid testing. <laughs> oh, uh, well, there that was, it's the time. It's the era for it, I suppose. It's that time. Run <laughs> to the hills. <laughs> anyway, so so WBF folded. So Luca was brought back in '93 as a wrestler, 
And yes, he was given the narcissist yes. gimmick, the guy who loved himself. And as much as I love Bobby mm-hmm. Heenan, I have no idea what he was doing during his debut at the Royal Rumble 93. It was bizarre, to say the least, wasn't it? He was, it was he insane. was getting a stoner. That's what he was doing. <laughs> it just seems... Do you think Heenan on that night was like the extension of Vince? There's a, That's something I never want to imagine <laughs> ever again. So out of character for Heenan, he's not really like drooled over a man like that in his career you know it seems so strange yeah the only justification i can think of is they were trying to get over the fact that lex was a narcissist but it, it likes or crossed over that line from appreciating the human form to i want to pure shag you <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even that it's like i think he just wanted to have sex with the muscles not the actual person oh my god oh one in particular <laughs> here's the thing though here's the thing though guys here's the thing can you imagine, right, I'm going to like do a bit of fantasy booking here. Can you imagine if the narcissist gimmick had hung on a little bit longer, like to maybe 95, uh-huh. right? And you'd have, you'd have got like him sticking around for gold dust. Oh, no. <laughs> that would have been an experience. Imagine if they were just somehow drawn together <laughs> as a tag team. That would have been a very interesting time. <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine how much that those two gimmicks would have just um, when I, when I say those two gimmicks would have rubbed up against each other? Um, yeah, well, <laughs> it's the bit that yeah, gets me. Not, it's like not, you know, he then put his head in the curtain as the as the drawing the curtain down. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> when the curtain's coming down over the, it's like look at the quads that so we can't see, Bobby. You're, you're blocking the view we've got left. And it's just like, and he's he's a, he is actually yeah, on his knees uh-huh. at that point. Is yes, he not? he's on his knees under the under the. Uh, I'm gonna keep curtain. the curtain oh. from going down all the way because it's like it's like a whole curtain in the ring, isn't it? Like the it's, it's off the side. I, uh-huh. I don't think it's in the ring. It's off to the side. Yep. I think. <clears throat> yep. No, it was that kind of like that kind of like platform they used to have halfway down the aisle where they would do the oh, interviews yeah. and things like that. Right. Isn't it? So we were going to explore his matches, and this is this is another thing that oh, that I find really strange is in this period of time. He barely fights any like named wrestler. It's all would that be matches? because, and I'm just speculating here. Would that be because Lex Luger isn't actually that good a wrestler? Uh, no, I just think it's the period of time. I just think at that period of time you wouldn't get many TV matches. Um, so I, that's a fair point. It's that era of squashes, isn't it? I, just for this, because he does yeah. wrestle a bit more. I've cut out his superstar and his challenge matches. And I've just concentrated on Raw and the, the big matches. Um, but anyway, two honourable mentions. He's, he's first taping, um, he fights Jim Powers with an hilarious little thing. Jim Powers is checking himself out in the mirror at the start of the match. <laughs> Getting jealous over the mirror. So Luger knocks him from behind, yeah, which I thought was quite a funny touch. I, I was debating whether to count this as a proper wrestler or not, but I haven't. And uh, he, he does, on the 21st of February edition of Challenge, he beats Virgil. But by that point in time... <laughs> oh, that's unfair to Virgil. By that point in time, yes. Virgil's pretty much right down the pecking order, you know? He's, yeah, he's basically a jobber with an outfit, isn't he? Let's be honest with ourselves. Yeah, yeah. The future of Vincent, though, come on. <laughs> Give the man some respect. No, high up in the NWO. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only thinking is that recent uh, cameo video that came out of him about um, 
slapping his clock in someone's face, whatever it was, pissing in his ear. I can't remember what it was now. I've not heard this and I don't want to know this. <laughs> I think it was a while ago. It was on one of the... Our sister podcast, Wrestling Daft, is on there. I'll have to try and find the audio. Oh, OK. Because <laughs> it's definitely post-Watershed. So, um, he makes his TV debut on, on Raw against uh, Jason Knight. I'm sure we all remember him. I remember the name, but I couldn't put a face to it. <laughs> it's interesting to note his forearm, or his el- it's mainly his elbow, though they keep going on about the loaded forearm after the bike accident he has this metal put in it, which is legitimate, but whether he knocks people out with it is a different matter. He kind of uses his elbow more than his forearm, you know, like Wade Barrett used to do. Yeah, it's like it's like a running bullhammer, essentially, he had, wasn't it? Yeah, but the first time he hits it on this guy, he just does it like a bullhammer. He does no run up or off the ropes, anything like that. He just kind of hits it. Uh, it doesn't. Look, it doesn't look the best, I don't think. But anyway, he gets the pin. And what his gimmick is, he pins him with one finger, which is quite cool. Oh, I remember that. He did that a couple of times. I think. Yeah, yeah, he does it quite a few matches. I thought. I think. I yeah. think early, early on, he hooks the leg. I think this guy hooks the leg, but later on, he does the the finger thing. And his second match on Raw is against P.J. Walker which would go on to become just incredible, but he would yes. do this, the same forearm, uh, a running version this time, and that's on the f- 1st of March, that one is. Then you've got a bit of an obscure one, I thought, because he's got a match tape for challenge, and it's against Tito Santana. Hey! Hey! In fact, sorry, it's not challenge, it's Mania. Sorry, it was, it was taped for Mania, it was. And this is what's nice. a bit odd. You know they did the thing where Jack Tunney had to force him to wear the elbow pad? Which was essentially like a sock. <laughs> yeah, well, he seems to be wearing it during this match. So I don't know if he's injured his elbow or the, the thought they were going to do the storyline and they haven't done it. But he's actually wearing the, the pad during the match. Um, right. And he hits Santana with the forearm. And yeah, um, Santana sells it. Or he kicks out the Santana's flying forearm first. Then Santana sells it, and then yeah, he pins him. So I found it a bit yeah. odd that we would um, we would have the elbow pad on, but it didn't really do anything. But that storyline would come very shortly. His fourth match, we all remember, April fourth, April fourth, WrestleMania nine. Oh, um, against Perfect, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Narcissist against Perfection was the gimmick. And Mr. Perfect flubbed his promo at the start, which is quite hilarious. Was being... this not the match that Mr. Perfect uh, later on was revealed that he was suffering from an absolute raging hangover? Yep, that's <laughs> the one. He would yeah, come... when they locked up, apparently, Lex Luger was like really nervous about getting his first WrestleMania match bang on right. And then apparently when they yep. locked up, Kurt Henning just whispered in his ear going, I hope you know what we're doing because I haven't got a fucking clue. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, uh, the match itself wasn't very good, but I don't think it was ever going to be. The finish was silly. Um, Luca hits a black backslide, but Perfect's feet are in the ropes, but the referee counts anyway, and it was the match to Luca. So hmm. it was a bit, it was a bit silly. I thought that finish, um, but then Luca's got his forearm knocked Perfect out after, and actually he actually knocked champion Bret Hart out at the WrestleMania brunch. If you remember, the, they showed the footage at WrestleMania 9. I know that one's WrestleMania Brunch. I remember it, but I, I was laughing. So to me, in my opinion, they were definitely aiming for a Lex Luger Bret Hart programme because that's who the house show circuit was, was Luger Bret Hart uh, on the house show. And it, right. it seems to, there seemed to be disqualifications at first, but whether they were upset with these WrestleMania 9 performance, 
Um, but I thought we're going to pin Luger in quite a few of the quite a few of the house show matches. All right. We then had the King of the Ring qualifiers, where Lex Luger would take on good old Bobby Backlund. Oh yeah, aye. And it was a fun match. Well, Backlund did all these like old school stuff, but the match ends where um, Luger hits the forearm as Backlund's getting back in the ring and lay- lays him out on the floor. So. Backlund gets counted out, he does. Mm-hmm. And that's him qualified for the King of the Ring. We then go to a special UK Rampage. Does everyone remember that? From Sheffield Arena? No. I think I think I remember them just talking about Sheffield on commentary and stuff for a while. Well, they, he would take on Jim Duggan, a strange match. And um, <laughs> it was the anti narcissist. Yes, a bit of a strange ending. Mr. Perfect would run the ring, hit Lex Luger and disqualify poor Duggan. He's like, you know, so poor Duggan lost the match. Nothing to do with himself. Oh. Yep, yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a thingy ending. Then you had it um, back on Raw, he would take on Crush, and this match would go on forever. It would be like 13 minutes long or something. Lex Luger should never wrestle over five minutes in a match. I think that's pretty much... <laughs> no. He's blown up after that point, so there's no point in carrying on that long. The, the finish would see um, two doinks in the, you know, in the Manhattan Center, they had like the balconies around, and it would mm-hmm. it would show one doink like looking, and then another one um, from the other side, and that confused Crush so much, so Luger knocked him out of the ring and it won by count out again. Was oh, that when yeah, oh, that's okay. during the whole Crush doink feud, <laughs> which, as we all recall, uh, yes. was uh, glorious. Then we're King of the Ring now. We're at um, 13th of June '93, and we have done this one on the program, so I'll skip through it really quick and um, he's forced to wear the elbow pad in the match and it's a bit of a bore and it goes on a 15 minute time limit draw because Tatanka's undefeated so I guess he can't really lose and then uh, Lex Luger they don't want to lose so they do a 15 minute draw which again is too long but Luger takes the pad off and knocks Tatanka out at the end of the match just for the sake of it he does just because <laughs> And then we're coming up to the last match, um, or the last sort of uh, bigger match with him being as the narcissist. And he takes on Owen Hart on an edition of Mania on the 26th of June 1993. And uh, again, he's forced to wear the pad, but they do the old referee pushed out the way slightly so Luger can drop the pad, knock Owen out, and then put the pad back on his arm again. And that's really what I think they were going for <laughs> as the Bret Hart feud. I think that's what they were... They were um, had in their idea at one point because they've set it up at Wrestlemania he's then knocking out um, Bret Hart's brother but they never never went with it uh, which is um, which is a shame because I think it might have been interesting maybe not brilliant but it would have been interesting I think we can agree that it probably wouldn't have been brilliant <laughs> pull me crazy <laughs> I think Bret probably could have got into a good match but I, I just yeah I mean Bret was like getting convinced and Matches out of Yokozuna, and I, you know, Yokozuna wasn't the most mobile. Yeah, but it's but it's Lex Luger. Yeah, I know, but I mean, you, the the guy's been like, you know, what had Luger been WCW World? Yeah, he had been WCW World Champion by this point. Well, you, I suppose you you would have been, but would he been in the Four Horsemen by this point? Uh, I can't remember now. That might have been post. Oh, so, but I'm not sure. Was that not post ninety five? No, I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, no. 87 to 89 he was in the Four Horsemen alright oh, okay yeah definitely then he had been yeah total package that's the kind of period so, yeah like you know I'm not you know he was I remember him being like in that kind of early period of the 90s when it was like you'd get drips and drabs of WCW stuff it was like he was like a uh, like a big name because he was in his feud with um, 
Ric Flair and Sting and all that, but yeah. you know, still, still a Lex Luger, isn't it? It's just, yeah, like, so if you're going to build a character, or whatever, he just doesn't seem to have that many, like, big matches. You know, not much body of work to establish himself with, because you know, yeah. all their matches are just squash matches or really short or. It's just a strange way to build a star, but I guess the kind of that's what they used in them days. There's a couple of other bits and pieces of footage that would have been well as available now, but probably not at the time, like unreleased matches and um, an interesting tag match. It's him and um, Razor Ramon against Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart. That's on one of the Bret Hart DVDs, mm. which will be quite an interesting matchup. Um, mm. There's there's a French a, a show that was broadcast in France only, and that's Mr. Perfect beating them. Uh, so that's another interesting piece and he had a, a match with the Macho Man which they did the old um, take your pad off forearm finish for because I managed to find it on YouTube to watch but that, that was um, <laughs> done on the unreleased collection which was loads of dark matches that they've put on a DVD I think last year the year before now I'm not 100% finished with Luger because there's a little piece I need to tidy up but I'm going to wait for that next time round so we'll move on Okay. Um, Ewan went first for, yeah, yeah so it's you's yeah, turn again. So it's isn't back it? to me. So it's quite funny listening to the story of the narcissist Lex Luger, and especially when you mentioned Tatanka, because we are going back to mid 90s WWF, which seems to be the sort of landscape of, well, it's beyond shit for the most part, but there were some good things there. But I'm going specifically back to an episode of Superstars from July 24th, 1993, when we were introduced to a gentleman by the name of Ludwig Borger. Yeah! Oh my god. Yes. It was so nice of um, Lloyd to play his theme tune as a national anthem during the Olympics. Well, considering he's meant to be Finnish, but never mind. Ah, I guess in the wrong country. You Nordic racist. Hang on, hang on. We do this again. It was nice of Finland to use uh, his theme as their uh, national anthem during the Olympics. Oh, God, it's it wrong was, the first yeah, time it Don't yeah. listen. <laughs> I'll sort out the edit. No, you won't. So no, well, I'll keep it in because it's funny. Who is who is Ludwig Borger? Ludwig Borger was a heel fin that basically came in because he, in his opinion, all Americans were deficient in some manner. With such examples being environmental laws, the education system, anything he could pick at. So he wrestled in basically the Finnish flag. His interest in music was the national anthem, and. After basically kind of starting the same thing the narcissist did with a whole bunch of squash matches, his first big moment was when he beat that then point Intercontinental Champion Marty Gennetti at SummerSlam. Marty Gennetti, Intercontinental Champion. What oh, a sentence. It happened, yeah. You have yeah. To. <laughs> but straight after that, he was immediately pushed into a feud with, at the time, the top babyface, made in USA, Lex Luger. Oh, uh, yeah, he was, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this was like, was there not something after um, SummerSlam that year where after he beats Yoko, well, he doesn't, well, he beats Yoko <laughs> into a count out. 
as we've done on the show before. Uh, and then Ludwig Borger walks up to Lex Luger backstage and then starts, you know, chiming on about how well, he might stand up for the American country, but they're all just a country full of wasters, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about right. Kind of thing. So he starts a feud with Luger and... On an edition of Superstars, Ludwig Vorberger was responsible for ending Tatanka's undefeated streak of two years. He was, yeah. When he pinned down... An episode of Superstars. Yep, on an episode of Superstars, Tatanka's winning streak ended. Bless him. And how that was ended was um, basically a mockery of the narcissist by Borger pinning Tatanka with just one finger. Nice little callback. Yep, absolutely. Did Borger not even have the torture rack as a finisher? He did. Or am I... I thought that, yeah. yeah. he did. So it's, again, like Luger. Yeah, pretty much like Luger. It's quite serendipitous how it happens. So, Survivor Series comes and goes, and he's in the main event with Yokozuna, uh, Jack and Crush, known as the Foreign Fanatics, which is just a tremendous Survivor Series team name. Why yeah. is, why is, oh, I suppose Crush is from Hawaii, isn't he? Yeah. That's a bit of a stretch, but... It, well... He was like a Japanese sympathiser with Yokozuna yeah. as well, because he's my Mr. Fuji. Yep. That's true. That's exactly, yeah. And really, that was sort of his highest moment as such. In December, he beat Razor Ramon at a house show, but that was overturned, so it doesn't actually count. But then this all came to a crashing end where he injured his ankle in a match with Rick Steiner, which basically ended his Borger character. And after that, he didn't really do anything and left the company shortly after. Yeah, it was a bit weird. It just kind of fizzled out, didn't it? Just, Pretty much. I mean, he got injured. They had nothing for him. And at that point, you know, he was meant to be in the Rumble that year, but obviously that got canned. And uh, that that injury was basically the beginning of the end. And shortly after, he uh, he left the WWF and went to the Catch Wrestling Association. Right. Have you heard of that? Because I haven't. No, <laughs> I haven't heard that at all. And uh, he also fought in MMA and boxing for a while as well. Okay. His uh, record's not good. <laughs> his his MMA oh. his MMA record is one win, four losses. And his boxing record's oh, a bit okay. better. It's uh, thirteen wins and six losses. Right. And he did also have a time where he was um, trying to become the president of uh, Finland. However, unfortunately, he made some tasteless remarks against one of the well, one of the presidents at the time, but basically calling her a lesbian. Wow. And with the oh. quote, if a lesbian can be president of Finland, then he could be president, he could be a member of the parliament. Anything seems possible. That didn't go over well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Ludwig. And later on, he had to apologise because he basically said that he didn't realise what he was saying would be interpreted as an insult. Uh-huh. Sure. Okay. I suppose unless she actually was a lesbian, then it wouldn't be an insult. Well, yeah, but... It would be an insult any, anyway, but, you know. You're still expressing surprise that one could be in charge of the country, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Later on in life, he was yeah. unfortunately committed um, to a mental hospital because uh, he was basically alcohol mad. <laughs> and uh, then in 2010, he died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Thus right. ends the tale of wow. Ludwig Borger, racist, part-time wrestler, and kind of a dick. <laughs> he was a great racist, part-time wrestler, full-time dick. <laughs> nice. He was in Die Out with a Vengeance. He was, yes. Was... I can't remember him uh, in that. And huh? I actually watched one of his UFC get, uh, matches the other day. Really? Uh, um, I'm sure it was Randy Couture. Yeah, he gets tapped out in like 50 seconds. Yeah, yeah, I watched that the other day, I did, yes. <laughs> it doesn't go well. Um, also, fun fact, he also had a tattoo of what's known as the Schutzenstaffel. 
which I had to find out, it was was one a major parliamentary organization under everyone's favorite German Adolf Hitler. Wow. Oh no. Uh, so WWF told that they had to basically tape that over that during his matches. Oh no. So yes, Ludwig oh, Borg, a racist bit of a dick. Canada doesn't like the Jewish people or anything else really for that matter. No, it doesn't like the Jews and doesn't like the lesbians. Nope. It seems. <laughs> So that that that's the the tale of Ludwig Borger. He lasted about six months, and oh, then the no. Euros came off altogether. It would appear. Yeah, and that's it. He just vanished. Set for big things, but never get. Yep, ever the got only there. time he ever touched the sky was when he blew. No, oh. um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. I apologize. <laughs> Fuck. Reach for the stars. Well, he didn't get quite that high, but he almost got there. <laughs> Shall I swiftly move on to my set, my backup, my second, my uh, honorable mention? Yeah, 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 quick. (laughs) Well, it's from a similar time, a similar era, a similar period of uh, of nostalgia, of youth. Of innocence, where we thought anything was cool, even though looking back, it was kind of a bit rubbish. Um, can I present to you a man who had 22 matches in the WWF from right. uh, May to November 1992? Back in the 90s again. Uh, mm-hmm. He was Ooh, a man. I, I could guess who this is, I think, but I'm not going to say. He has 22 matches, but I'd probably say he only has two actual matches. Uh, he was a man who suffered uh, justice from Cobb County, Georgia. We are, of course, referring to the man who was oh, called no. Nails. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't know if you remember the promos of Nails coming in. I did because I, I watched actually... the whole run of, on um, Superstars. <laughs> I watched the whole beginning yeah. and when he debuted, it was an utter disaster. But I remember as a kid being like really scared of Nails. Because he was doing like he was like foaming at the mouth, he was kind of unshaven, and he was he was just a he was a scary dude when he kind of um, came in, and he was talking about being beaten by uh, the big boss man in a prison cell in Cobb County, Georgia. Who's the boss now, boss man? You gave a beating, and I took a beating. You gave a beating, and I took a beating. Now let's see how you're going to take a beating in hard time. And like I say, he had 22 matches. Um, but let me just list you his opponents in his first run of matches. Uh, Nails defeats. These are all on Wrestling Challenge or Superstars. Uh, Nails defeats Dan Robbins, Run Cumberledge, Rick Johnson, Jay Gooden, Bruce Mitchell, Kerry Davis, Jason Speed, Toby Roy, John Armstrong, Phil Apollo, Tommy Stevenson, Ken Wayne, and then we get to SummerSlam 1992 in Wembley Stadium. Who do you think he defeats by technical knockout in 3 minutes and 17 seconds? Would that be the future of Vincent? Yes! Virgil! <laughs> Bossman's Yay! best friend! All about the Jobber Express! Up to try and defend his friend. <laughs> we then have him defeating Kerry Davis, Guy Kantagaskis, I don't know, uh, Eric Freedom's a no contest. Uh, Scott Zappa's a no contest. He defeats Tom Stone, Ken Johnson, Gary Jackson, Mike Collins. Until we get to Survivor Series 1992, 
Oh, what kind of match do you think we have in Survivor Series 1992? A bad match. I really enjoyed this match. Probably the the match that made Vince Russo convinced he wants to book wrestling from now on. <laughs> the Big Boss Man versus Nails in a nightstick on a pole match. <laughs> Yay! Yep. <laughs> which lasts five minutes and 43 seconds, which the Big Boss Man wins. I believe he yep. secures the nightstick. I believe he beats Nails like they're back in that prison cell in Cobb County, Georgia. Uh, and then he gets released because there's a big financial dispute and he allegedly attacks Vince and he's gone and he's out the door. Yeah, he apparently was a bit pissed off about his SummerSlam payoff, went to talk to Vince about it, and then it ends with him getting the sack on the spot, apparently, and getting his contract terminated, and then him trying to sue the WWF because he alleged that Vince sexually assaulted him. <laughs> Is that... Steroids are chucked into the mix and all sorts. It was a bit of a bit of a weird finish to that. I have no idea how that came about. Well, that seemed to be one of the situations that well that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. This goes nuts. But yeah, he's he, he joins, he, he debuts May, and he's gone by November. What a career! And in that time, because like I've, I've looked this on the um, cagematch.net, you can kind of get a list of the matches. If you look at it, filter it just down to event and house shows. He actually has a bit of a road of matches with. Um, where are we? He has one, two, three, four matches with Bret Hart for the title on the on the house show circuit. And right. then he has about uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven matches with The Undertaker, which, you know, he loses continually. Aye. But, you know, they're putting him up against... They're probably, looks like they're kind of warming up against somebody on the, on the, on the house show circuit because he kind of like, you know, he kind of... Especially that period, you test things out there to see how the crowd react, and then you kind of kick it up onto TV or the or the, or the next paper, don't you? That sort yeah. of thing. So, like, he, you know, they put him up against Brett. They put him in the ring with um, them, take for a bit, couple against Duggan. Uh, and his mm-hmm. last match is in the December '92, uh, a lumberjack match where the Big Boss Man defeats Nails uh, at mm-hmm. Wharton Fieldhouse in uh, Moline, Illinois. And that's it. He's gone. But I like when he came in. I remember just being like not disturbed, but he like was mm. quite an intense version of the character. He and he he sold the whole thing about being a crazy psychopath really well. And you was know, something about how they 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 purposefully like deepened his voice in the post production. I wouldn't be surprised. His promo because like his voice is really weird. All this kind of stuff, and it's just like it, they they kind of like yeah, I'm sure they ended up changing his voice for the promos. Yeah. And it feels like a kind of character who was probably like a little too early for the company. Like, yeah, I think he was like a little, like, especially like, I mean, I was 12, so I wasn't like a kid, but like, yeah, he was like a little bit unsettling to kind of see this kind of guy who was accused yeah. of, you know, being a victim of police brutality in 1992. I mean, you know, it's kind of cutting close to home, but like, you know, you debut him a few years later, start of the attitude era. I was going to say, if he came into what, about 97, 98, yeah. then yeah, you could probably... Or, you know, same character crops up in ECW a couple of years later, that would work. Yeah, pretty well, much. You are missing one Nails match. What is this Nails match that I'm missing? Uh, he wrestled as the prisoner. Oh, yeah. Who was that for? Um, who was that for? WCW. I was going to say, did he go across WCW and they basically recycled his, his gimmick had, again? He had what? Yes, he was dressed in the orange jumpsuit. 
There it he is. was called the prisoner, and he took on Sting. Oh, Sting defeats the prisoner in five minutes and 16 seconds. He was getting a hell of a pay deal at that then. Yeah, that's it. Wow. Was that a slam burrito? It wasn't like it was that, like, you know, like um, a small schwab. I've just clicked on Slam Night 3 that the attendance was 7,000. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know. And he was. Uh, I don't know if he's in the main event or not, but he's like, because it's like that last match in the list. Oh, no, it's not. The. Um, Davy Boy Smith defeats Big Van Vader was the uh, main event of that, that one with Harley Race. Oh, yeah. And then Barry Windham defeats um, Arn Anderson for the heavyweight, the, the NWA belt, and that one, that'll show as well. So, assuming that Arn Anderson didn't have access to a Glock. <laughs> I was going to say, Arn Anderson. <laughs> I mean, indeed, yeah. That was a weird promo. <laughs> that was really bizarre. <laughs> you see, I can't remember who was doing the tweets. What was the name? Um, uh, the, 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 oh, not Nia Jax. The Natural Beast. Oh, Nyla Rose. Nyla Rose. Yeah, Candyman's too scared to see Arn Anderson five times into a mirror. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Oh, uh, double A. Double she was, A. She was busting out some amazing tweets around that. She was. God bless Nyla Rose. Nyla Rose is, uh, as a side note, is amazing on Twitter because we, we did anyone see the night that Nyla Rose was saying that there, she was going to, um, she had a brilliant business plan for going, uh, when she immigrates to the UK. She's going to open like a shop that's going to sell everything for a pound. <laughs> and everyone started inundating her with like photos of Poundland, and then like literally like an hour later, she went, "Okay, okay, okay, right, not the most original business plan." <laughs> I don't know how it came up that they so you know I'm going to immigrate to the UK and make a shop that everything sells for a pound. Here's <laughs> another one she tweeted today. Fun fact: Friday, Thursday edition. Uh, the phrase "blow your mind" was invented by Anson when he did, in fact, blow someone's mind all over the concrete. <laughs> <laughs> is, is our answer going to be the new Chuck Norris? Is this where we're going with this? Of course he is. Of course he is. He's great. <laughs> but yes, nails. Yes. To get back on track. Nails, nails. nails is a good one. Nails. nails is a really good one. Nails is a really good one. Because like, I think he did have like he. It, you talk about like it had potential. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you put like um, if it wasn't that guy, you had um, or you know Kane or, or pre Kane in that kind of gimmick. Was it not nails? Yeah. Nails' main move, if I remember rightly, was a choke. Yeah, he just chucked guys out yeah. on the thing. On the and that was it. Yeah, that was the extent of his talent. That's all he did. He, he, he had like punches and a choke. Yeah, but if you, you know, if you had somebody like, like, I think the gimmick had potential. It just like had the wrong guy underneath the the mask, as it were. So yeah, possible, possible. Uh, yeah. I, you know, he's, he's he's a high point of that period to me. Like he's something like it's something that sticks out. Like you know, he doesn't kind of um, vanish into the kind of beige background. He's uh, he's a standout character as nails for me. So that's why I'd uh, like to give him a little mention on this. I remember a whole interview with him, and I say interview in the loosest possible sense because it was in WF magazine, which usually just made up bullshit to just extend storylines from television. But he was in it; they had an interview with him in WF magazine. I remember reading it at the time, and it was all about how you know Bossman had basically you know taken the law into his own hands and had you know was a disgrace to the badge and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I remember reading that, thinking that was a bit heavy going. Because <laughs> mm. yeah, I say like. So, Considering where the company is at that time, um, bringing in police yeah. brutality is probably like I say, it's not quite uh, the time for yeah. it. Yeah, a little bit kind of weird. But a couple of years later, it might have been, or you know, three years later, it might have really took off. But you know, we'll never know now, will we? Because Vince nope. McMahon, no. the shenanigans that went on just completely killed it stone dead. Pretty much, yeah. 
Yeah. So I don't know why both of mine, but like, you know, outside things just kill the gimmick off with like no kind of ending. Well, it's just one of the things, it's circumstances, isn't it? Sometimes. Yeah. Who's going next? It'll be you. Uh, no, it was you, Cam. It's you, Cam. Yeah. Yeah. Cam yeah. That was the main event. Is it me? It's me. All right. Okay. Okay. Cool. <clears throat> Round two. Well, my next guy, I've got two guys on my list left, but I think I'm going to do the guy that's got no matches at all. Wow. Right? Despite being <laughs> quite high profile, nothing. He never, ever, ever got the chance to wrestle. And it might be the guy who was in charge of Creative's idea at the time. I'm going back to October of 1999. Ooh. We are in WCW. And we are shown a couple of episodes of Nitro in a row. We are shown in October 1999. We are shown a video uh, of a child playing by a window of their bedroom. Oh, God. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. And then a a black veiled figure with a white painted face floats towards the window and seems to touch through the window and the, the child puts their hand against the window and the child turns around, its eyes are hollowed out. And then you can just hear, you know, fear me, the words, and off he floats again. And then, on the November the 8th, 1999 edition of Monday Nitro, we have the debut of Dustin Rhodes <laughs> as Seven. Ugh. And he quite literally floats down to the ring. <laughs> yes, he does. Because <laughs> they've got him on like theatrical cords and all this kind of stuff. So he floats down the ring. Tony Schiavone is trying to, to sell this as a kind of like thing. And, you know, they typically, this must be the guy we've seen the videos for in the last couple of weeks. And then essentially, Dustin Rhodes, whether by his own design or Russo's, shits on the gimmick live in front of the audience but the powers that be came to me and they said Dustin you know Dustin sucks Dustin is boring so I here now I stand before you and oh my new name is Seven by the way so they've dressed me up like Uncle Fester to play trick-or-treat all year long. Powers it brief. What you can do is take gold dust and shut You can take this silly-looking thing, seven, and shove it up your ass. And you both can kiss. And he just, I, I, will, I won't, well, it's a, if you can find the whole um, promo, Phil, it's four minutes of joy. Um, I'll give you some, <laughs> it, uh, no, I'll give you some glorious <laughs> highlights, uh, which includes, uh, the, the opening line is, take a good look at the crap I'm in. <laughs> and then uh, the powers that be told me that Dustin Rhodes was boring. Uh, you can shove seven up your ass and I'll make WCW a miserable hell. <laughs> And then he never ever wrestled as the seven gimmick at all. It was essentially like a take on Gold Dust, essentially, but like a darker version of Gold Dust. The network that apparently um, that Nitro was on at the time saw the promotional videos 
and freaked because they thought that the seven character was essentially a paedophile. <laughs> so that was apparently one of the things that buried it. But they spent a load of money on getting like the the, um, the setup for this entrance right, so they were going to damn well use it once at least. <laughs> at least going to use it so once, yeah. That was their answer, was to say, so Dustin Rhodes will float down to the ring and shit on the gimmick that they gave him <laughs> and then never, ever wrestle in it. <laughs> and then he went back to being the natural, Dustin Rhodes. God bless WCW. And that was it. <laughs> so, two pre-taped videos, one live promo, and done. That's it. Now, you can argue it had some sort of, it had some sort of legs, because, you know, they, they were obviously after, like, their kind of Undertaker figure. The jacket he's wearing at the time, the leather jacket, is quite an Undertaker thing. Hmm. But uh, as he says during the promo, uh, he looks like Uncle Festa, and he yeah. does. Um, so... Yeah, that would be my one. Seven in WCW. Uh, Dustin Rose has had better before and has gone on to better since. <laughs> So yeah, that is a very fair point. Yeah. So there you go. That's my vote. Seven. WCW. Al. So it's made the finish off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna okay, right. have an honourable mention at the end if that's all right. But carry on. So we're back to. Um, I'm just going to go back to Lex Luger very slightly. So Lex Luger on the fourth of July. Mm-hmm. Body slammed Yokozuna. Remember all this skit? Yep, yep, yeah. I remember this. The USS Intrepid. Da 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 yeah. da. Yep. He's got to do it on the boat, otherwise it'll destroy the Eastern Seaboard. Relearn that for WrestleMania Te- Five. Technically, <laughs> it's a hip toss, but never mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so he becomes the all-American hero um, by body slamming Yokozuna. Now, this yeah. is something that's really, 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 really curious. Uh, I think, and I'd love to know, but I couldn't find the answer. That's done on July the 4th, which is a Sunday. On the Monday, they show footage of the event. So that's it. You know, publicized. Everyone knows because sometimes they would put stuff on tape delays and such like. So you wouldn't know about it for weeks. But no, this is the next day. It's all, all shown on the network or, or the television. So the next three nights, Lex Luger takes on Bret Hart. And I'd love to know what gimmick Lex Luger used for them three matches. Was he's he still wrestling as a narcissist? Or mm-hmm. was he in his All-American gear? Mm-hmm. Well, it depends if he turned up in the Lex Express. Because surely that means he's the American guy. Well, they hadn't quite started that yet. This was the week before, so they hadn't quite got there yet. So I just found it really curious. The uh, Bret Hart wins all three matches, but they do shake hands at the end of the contest. He'd be the narcissist, surely. Playing like a face, but I would love to know what gimmick he's in. Um, but then, then what Lex Luger did is he was taken off television wrestling. After them house shows, didn't wrestle anything. He, he legitimately went on the bus and literally toured around the um, America doing everything it showed. And oh, the, the Lex the Express. Only... Give, it the, give it the respect it's due. It's more than a bus. Okay, sorry. sorry. It's a the wave Lex of emotion travelling across America. 
And he only did one more match. He did a house show against Yokozuna, which I presume was a bit like a rehearsal for the uh, for the thing. And that's the only thing he wrestled prior to that uh, SummerSlam um, for that famous countout win. But I just found that quite... Well, in a way, I found it quite good that Luger got to take time off wrestling to do this project, which was a massive project. And no matter what people say about Luger, he legitimately did it. And he must have met thousands and thousands of people and, you know slept in a bus for, for bloody weeks on end. It must have been a hard slog for him, which was, people forget. It was something like three months or something, wasn't it? No, it was just, just a month, built up with SummerSlam. It might be two months. might be two months, actually. It felt like a while. <laughs> um, it might be in July and August. But uh, yeah. So I always give Yuga credit for that. I don't think he was... Uh, I don't think he was um, given the credit he deserved. But uh, the main rumour was for SummerSlam 93 was it was going to be Hulk Hogan against Bret Hart. Yeah, because Bret Hart always maintains that they, they'd done the promo photo shoot for it. Yes, I was going to like, they having the tug of war with the belt. Hogan tug of war with the belt, yeah. They'd, they'd taken the photos. But a lot of other people don't collaborate this, you know, this story. Like, people like um, Jim Cornette, I've never heard him mention it, or Bruce Pritchard, people like that. I could be wrong. But I've always got my own theory is that Hogan never intended doing the match and Vince never intended running the match, but they literally just did it to feed Bret Hart's ego. You know, they're just like, yeah, just say this, do this photo shoot and it'll keep me happy for a couple of months. You know, that sort of thing. That's, that's, how I, that's what I believe where the photos exist. Just go there, pretend you're going to do it. You know, we want them to get in this program with Jerry Lawler. We want them to drop the title at WrestleMania. Just, just, just say you're going to do it, and it'll keep them happy. You know, it's in um, that sort of time thing. before Bret Hart probably was like the main guy to throw his weight around enough. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably just before. Obviously, Bret Hart's had like a world title run in the run up to that, obviously, but I don't think he was sort of like in charge as far as the politics went. That would have been very much Hogan, yeah. So that would probably check out. Well, that, that's just my little little theory on that one. So we are going to go back to uh, Raw 1993, February the 1st. Mm-hmm. And we are going for the re-debut of Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Yep. Um, I say that, I think it's the week before, sorry. I think it's the week before that date. But anyway, he does a promo and it's fantastic. I, I, I haven't fact-checked it to see if it's true. But on this promo, he basically says that he had to bury his mother, then his father died, and then his wife divorced him, and then he got smashed in the face with this parasailing accident, you know, to literally destroy... Oh, yeah, it seemed to be really, really bad what happened to him. And then he's built his life up, he's built his face up, and he wants to come back to the to, to, to wrestle again. Um, and he gets an he gives an open challenge, and DiBiase is the match for him 
So he has the little match against Debian, and it's a nothing match. That just I really enjoyed watching it though. But there's lots of like headlocks and like stalling spots and stuff. But the match it only goes on about four minutes. Is for the angle, the angle where IRS interferes and then hits Brutus with a, a briefcase to get disqualified, and then DiBiase holds him up, and Jimmy Hart's trying to stop him, but no, IRS goes and hits uh, Beefcake right in the face to try and undo all that good surgical work, all them screws and plates that he's had in his face, um, and the, he, he bleeds all over the ring. Um, I'm not sure if it's real blood or not because it's kind of hidden. You only see it on the ring afterwards. And Jimmy Hart's trying to protect Brutus and everything, and they the stretcher him out. And don't worry, Vince McMahon kills all the intrigue viewers might have by just going, and oh, we heard Brutus is fine. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, it's all he, fine. Was he taken to a local medical facility? <laughs> it, it wouldn't surprise me. But, Not a hospital. But... <laughs> But anyway, that's Brutus isn't the person I'm doing. That's just a great lead up. Okay. His his best mate will come back the following week. <laughs> right. And yes, I am doing 1993 Hulk Hogan. Oh boy. How how is that a different gimmick? Isn't it just Hulk Hogan? <laughs> whoa, 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 I said over a period of time. <laughs> that's so like... that's what I that's what I said. In we're, my, talking, in my spiel. we're talking Thunder in Paradise era Hulk Hogan. Yes, we're talking. <laughs> Essentially. Uh, we're also talking um, post-steroid Hulk Hogan. Yeah. If you want to do a gimmick on that one, there you go. Um, so he does this promo. How he's back to help his best friend Brutus out. Brutus comes to the ring with like, he only got a broken nose. That's the only injury he got. Um, so he's wearing this like piece of tape over his nose at this mo moment in time. Um, and Jimmy Hart's now the manager, so they challenge uh, Money Inc. for a match. And apparently the Nasty Boys are the number one contenders, but they're happy to step aside to let Hogan and Beefgate challenge for for the match. And then you get WrestleMania 9. Oh, we're back there again, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, bru I'll breeze through it very quickly. But yes, the it's a terrible match. Uh, Hogan gets his <laughs> um, gets his eye bust open in in what's believed to be a jet ski incident. Yeah. There is rumours that Randy Savage hit him, but I think they've been expelled. They pretty much it was a jet ski accident. His his eye looks really bad, but he still does the match and the the sell it beautifully by saying DiBiase paid some guys to beat him up outside the gym, which I thought was quite a good a good way <laughs> to get around it. Um. So the match is terrible. It ends in a disqualification. I think Money Inc. win it by disqualification. Uh, Jimmy Hart puts it like turns his jacket inside out at one point to reveal a stripy jacket and counts the three. Like that's going to work, you know? Like they're going to go, that'll work. You're the new tag team champions. <laughs> he's uh, wearing no, stripes, course, therefore he's the referee. Yeah, <laughs> but of course it doesn't. And the only bit I like is when they celebrate at the end. Is when. Um, you open the briefcase and he finds a brick in it. I thought that was always quite a funny little touch uh, <laughs> at WrestleMania. And and like I said, I've inadvertently done two people. That is literally Brutus Beefcake's two matches in 1993, uh, just by doing Hulk Hogan. So, so, so there you go. He would have been. He ended up with a job in WCW because Hogan signs the next year. <laughs> now, of course, there'll be another. Uh, wrestling match at that WrestleMania 9 featuring Hulk Hogan. Uh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, 
made me choke on my vomit that did then. Yeah, Yokozuna won the Royal Rumble. He um, takes on Bret Hart. Bret Hart's gotten beaten the sharpshooter. Mr. Fuji throws the salt in the face, which I always thought was stupid because the finish just sees Fuji throw the salt and then Yokozuna pin Bret Hart. It's like, could Bret Hart not kick out? I know he can't see, but could he not have the... Yeah, you know, it's, hardly, uh, it's, it's hardly like a... You know, you can understand if he like gets whacked across the back with a cane or something like that and injures yeah. his back, then yeah. Having like a 500 pound man try and pin you on the floor when you've got busted back, then yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I was the same. I was like, yeah, you can, you'd still have the instinct to kick out even though you can't see. <laughs> yeah, he should have at least dropped the leg or something. Yeah, I can, I can understand, yeah. You know? you know, kicking out, then like maybe getting in, getting into a belly to belly, which you can't defend because you can't see where he is. Yeah. <laughs> and then like ended up getting a banzai drop off that and then that's you done but anyway um, don't worry because Bret Hart's best mate Hulk Hogan comes down to ringside to escort Bret blinded Bret Hart backstage <laughs> but then randomly Mr. Fuji wants to challenge him to a match and put the title on the line so Bret Hart gives Hulk Hogan his blessing off he goes they try the salt trick again but this time it hits Yokozuna and then of course the big leg drop and the match is about I don't know, 20 seconds of that. And Hulk Hogan yep. is a five-time champion. And no matter what anyone says, that crowd pops. That crowd pops that uh, that title change. No, I, think, I think you're confusing the groan for a pop. That's what the, that's what the issue is there. <laughs> Was it not though that Caesar's um, Palace were uncomfortable with the final image of the WrestleMania they were hosting to be a non-American champion? Well, I've heard a lot of rumours, but I mean... I think that's probably the likely one because people say Hogan protested, but apparently Hogan says no, it wasn't his idea. He was happy to do the match he was supposed to do. Sure, he was. He wasn't supposed to be in the title match, <laughs> and then they suggested that to him. Um, I think it's. I, I'd like. I'm gonna just put the forward the idea that it was a combination of the two. Yes, Caesar's Palace probably said um, we're uncomfortable with like a, a, a on-screen Japanese guy being um, you know the champion in the final sort of shots of the event we're hosting and so the WF and Vince obviously just sat around and went well we need someone American to have the title you're not telling me at that point Hogan didn't go well brother <laughs> you know <laughs> come on well brother well brother uh, we're looking around just decided you know if anyone's American uh, who's more American than me <laughs> And Vince goes, well, remember my WrestleMania 7 bandana? Well, Hogan um, would still do house shows. Um, I think he did He did a few matches against the Beverly Brothers and then a few matches against Money Inc. as well down the house show routes. Um, but he wouldn't really de- wrestle on television at all or defend the title within 30 days, remember, um, mm-hmm. at all. And he was doing um, until, in Paradise. Well, until King of the Ring. Now, yeah. who can tell? Who can tell me who is the only man he fought on television before he fought Yokozuna for the second time? Uh, uh, Did he fight nails? <laughs> no. So we're talking. No, I don't 90, care. Four, no, ninety-three, aren't we? Um, Doink the clown. Oh. Have you got? Have you got any ideas, Ewan? I have no clue at this point. <laughs> you know. Oh, if I told you, it was the great muter. Oh, what? What the fuck? <laughs> yep. He, he took the what? WF title. He took the WF title to Japan. 
and he did indeed have a title versus title match. Well, champion versus champion. No, no belts were on the line. Is it IGP? Sorry, IWGP. Um, yes, that, that's that's that was the match, and he cuts a promo saying he wants to come back to Japan and he wants to wrestle, and he says the WF title is just a stepping stone. The, the Japanese title is the big title. He oh, wants. is that the one when he calls yeah. it a trinket? Yeah, yeah. Good <laughs> lord. Oh wow, is that that one? Well, I didn't know that. I've seen that and, promo, but and you you really should watch the match because I think it's brilliant. I think the match was fantastic, and Hogan gets a lot of stick. He works that match really, really good. Is this not also um, the match where Muta goes right to the end of the aisle to do a running clothesline? Um, I don't. I only watched the second half because it's in two parts on YouTube. Oh, okay. So I, I did. I didn't see it, but the finish is what I really liked. Uh, Hogan, Hogan goes to get a chair. What's that about? So Hogan goes to get a chair, and then he does the green mist in Hogan's eyes, mm-hmm. and uh, he hits a moonsault. And and no, no Hulk up. He just kicks out. No Hulk up or anything like that. He just kicks out. Uh, and then he hits what? the leg drop, and then Muda takes out the leg drop. Yay! Have that. <laughs> ah, you, you didn't expect all this, did you? And then. And then the finish comes where he hits the big boot. And do you know what movie hits next? The It won't be the leg drop because he didn't use it in Japan. No, it was the... Axe handle. Axe bomber, which is just a yeah. clothesline pretty much. But yeah. um, but he gets the win <laughs> with the axe bomber. The crowd go nuts. And yes, that was, I thought it was fantastic. Um, also noting that he, he brought Brutus Beefcake on that... Uh, on that tour as well to fight Maso Sayato. Have I said that right? Maso Sayato? Something yep. like um, that. That's who Beefcake took on during, the, during that Japanese show. But I just thought that was such a nice little little trinket. I would share it with you. That, nice. was, a, that was a journey. That was yeah. certainly something. Did yeah. not think we'd end up in Japan on that one, but there you go. No, well, yeah. <laughs> How strange. So... He comes back to to King of the Ring, and he, of course, he loses the title to Yokozuna. With we've mentioned it again on the show with Harvey Wilton dressed as the cameraman in the the fireball in the face and the leg yeah. drop, and then he's he's done. However, he's not completely done because he does do quite a lot of house shows afterwards. Um, usually against Yokozuna, there's a couple of them available uh, film through camcorders on the uh, you know on the internet and stuff. And his last match in this run. Was in Sheffield, England. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of all places. Yeah, yes. I'll just mention my mate Brutus. He took on Terry Taylor during all these um, house shows when Hogan was uh, Yokozuna during the European house show tour. And mm-hmm. then apparently he just sat out the rest of his contract. I don't know what the contract was. And it just to me, it doesn't seem like there was any effort that to, to ever do a SummerSlam match of Bret Hart. I mean. I could be wrong, but it no. just doesn't seem to be anything in place at all that I can see that, you know, like, you know, unless, I don't know whether down the line he refused to do the Bret Hart match or whatever, but if he did, but... Um, There's no way what... Hogan would have been losing to Bret Hart. Well, no. I just... There's not a chance Hogan just, you know, would have... There was... Well, I refuse to believe that was entertained as a serious idea. Yes, I don't even, I agree. I don't even think if Hogan was up for it, I don't think McMahon would have done it. I really, I don't think Brett was at that stage yet. I'm sure Brett all thinks he was. But I, yeah, I, don't, think, <laughs> I, I don't think the audience would have bought it to me. I just, you know, I just think he wasn't at that stage yet. 
uh, to be a, a, on that thing. And I think the way they did it worked out in the end. Obviously, he decided to make his new Hulk Hogan in the in the form of Lex Luger, but uh, which didn't it was all right. I don't think it was a Luger did a terrible job or anything. I just think it was too close, too soon after Hogan for it to work properly, in my opinion. It was, uh, but the SummerSlam finish killed whatever kind of credibility he had. Yep. That was it just it did that gimmick in right there, didn't it? It was like you celebrated a time a timeout win. Really? Yep. That's that's your big SummerSlam finish, and it just kind of like just tied it with that brush, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hogan would do a few more matches in Japan at the end of the year, and I think he kind of was hoping to have more of a career there, or whatever. Um, but he was obviously getting a lot of money from this Thunder in Paradise, and obviously Eric Bischoff talked to him on the set of Thunder in Paradise, and then the chains wrestling down the line sort of thing. But I just thought that was a very curious point from 93, because he barely wrestled any televised matches to be the world champion. But, I mean, that would be stupid, wouldn't it? Having the world champion who barely shows up on television and wrestles four <laughs> matches stupid. a year. They Jesus. would never do that again, would they? No, never. no, no, no. Why would you even bother? Why would you even bother? So, so yeah, I just thought that was a, a little one to do. But you can do your honourable mention, Cam. Oh, yeah, I forgot I had an honourable mention. Has anyone else got any honourable mentions? I don't. Nope. I had a reserve, which ironically I think is the one that had the most matches on my list. <laughs> um, we're going back to the spring slash summer of 2004. Oh, that's... That, if, yeah. If I said the nickname... The Pale Rider. Would anyone I don't know who you that? are. Yeah, I don't know who you are. <laughs> to fill in, you would know who I'm talking about. I, I certainly don't. No? I, I would say, I think... It, I, who you after, is it? Uh, Bob Holly, one of your opponents, by any chance? Yes, Bob Holly at the Great <laughs> American Bash, 2004. A Smackdown-only pay-per-view. Commentary by Taz and Michael Cole, and Taz calls this guy's finisher a razor's edge. You're talking about Mordecai. I'm talking about Mordecai. Yes. <laughs> who I was, who I was, so I thought was fucking amazing when I saw him for the first time. <laughs> um, yeah, you've got three matches from him. You have the um, the May the sixteenth, uh, two thousand four, at Judgment Day versus Scotty Too Hotty. I didn't even know Scotty Too Hotty was still going in two thousand four, but there you go. Um, in which he just essentially throws Scotty around quite literally, headlocks him for a bit, and then um, Razor's Edge is him, and that's it. And then it was, as we've mentioned, the um, the Bob Hawley match against uh, the Great American Bash, in which case he is victim of, shall we say, Hardcore Hawley's stern offence. <laughs> um, for a little while uh, there's a bit of a clothesline which I think knocks his head into next week um, and then again Razor's Edge wins it or the Crucifix as it's called and then on the July the 1st edition of Smackdown in 2004 he loses to Rey Mysterio who at the time was Cruiserweight champion and I think the death knell was really summed up by Michael Cole when he says the Cruiserweight champ has pinned Mordecai he was never seen again. <laughs> <laughs> three and done, ladies and gentlemen. Three and done. But he had wow. such great hope. I think he, I think the idea was apparently that he was going to wrestle the Undertaker, and it was going to be like the just the you know 
the dark versus the light kind of thing. Yeah. And um, it would have been something to behold because in all of his entrances at the pay-per-views, the, the actual side of the ramps are like ablaze with like flames. And he brings his like massive scepter thing down and then he's got a little holder by the ring that he locks it into while the match is in progress. Do you, do you think they've just reused some of that set for Drew McIntyre? It's a similar idea, yeah. With the, it just replaced the scepter with a sword. Yeah. They probably just, they probably just like, were going through the warehouse, came across that and went, you know what? That actually cost a lot of money. Could we get some use out of that again? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, yeah, get Drew on the phone. What do you like, think? You know how Drew got the sword, though, don't you? Uh, Have you read this? No, I don't think I've read that. Go on. A few years ago, when the WF were doing, or WE rather, were doing the Hydro for a house show, much like they did a couple of weeks ago, um, the Provost of Glasgow gave Vince McMahon a Claymore sword. Oh, and Vince thought this was the greatest thing ever. Because obviously, obviously thinks that he's you know part Scottish, as most Americans bloody do. Uh, and then um, he apparently that's what he got. He actually just lifted it out of his office in Stanford and gave it to Drew for his entrance one night and said, use that. That'd be great. And so that's the sword that Drew's been using for his entrances. Oh, do you reckon like Drew's got to carry that around onto like planes and stuff with these? Like, like you know, they have to carry the belt around. Uh, yeah, with apparently, the apparently Vince takes it with him on his private jet, so it doesn't matter. Of course, but of so course, it doesn't matter. <laughs> they had it in Newcastle. Yeah, apparently it's, well, it's, it's a sword, it's a sword. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if it's the one, but the the one he has on TV is apparently Vince's because the Provost of Glasgow gave him it as a gift. Wow, well, there you go. So, yep. What a journey we've had through a big load of weird gimmicks. Weird, short-lived gimmicks that made you kind of go, oh, yeah, them. Mm." That was a thing. I think think the thread through all of them is like, there's like a thread of hope and potential in each of them. We're like, this could be the thing. This could be the thing that kind of, oh, no, it's not. No, it's not, yeah. Because otherwise, through like, what? Bad booking, drugs, (laughs) casual racism... They all end up dead. Professional racism, thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, well, I true. Uh, uh, yeah. Indeed. But uh, that was our... Killed him off stone dead. <laughs> oh, God. I'm not even going to say what I was thinking there because course... I got shot earlier. And of course, I can't even drag the bushwhackers into it because their, their gimmick lasted for years. Yep. They're pressed the wrestling oh, somewhere. They were long, yeah. Well, as, as as we know from this uh, an episode that was five years old now, um, oh the the Bushwhackers are the greatest tag team has ever been known, and there's no one that's come across since then that has any challenge to them. <laughs> sure. Anyway, yes. When we record next. Wow. What show are we doing? That is... it's Ewan's choice. It is. The ball is in my court. And I've got a show that I think will make you feel a few things. It'll probably make you feel happy. It'll make you feel joy. But above all else, it'll be an out-of-body experience. That's because we are going to the Target Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 22nd, 1999, for the 1999 SummerSlam. Oh, right. Yes. Jesse Ventura. Indeed. And um, I I like that. And if I remember rightly, 
Triple H having to slyly help Stone Cold get out from being tangled in the ropes. Yes. Yeah, with his shirt. Yeah, that happened. Because you, you, you can just hear like Stone Cold going, Shane! Shane! And <laughs> Shield Man's too busy dancing around being a tit yep. to actually know what's going on. So that is... There you go. This, this is the second part of the... Um, Sort of short, the shortest days of Ewan goes back to nostalgia of tapes he bought in Woolworths because this was another one that I bought in Woolworths. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. Fair uh, enough. I do Go like with. it, yeah. So, SummerSlam 1999, where you get to watch such great matches as the Rockin' Billy Gunn and the Kiss My Ass match. Nice. And the tag team turmoil. Indeed. I, will, I, I do like SummerSlam 99, actually. I look forward to doing that one, yes. Yeah, and it also contains what's known as a Lion's Den weapons match. It oh, does. That's, that's, that's good as well. That's the um, Steve Blackman, Ken Shamrock one, That's it? right. And also, is it not the one with is it X-Pac and Kane versus Big Show and Taker? Yep. Yeah, It's the Unholy Alliance well. against Kane and X-Pac. They've got the best theme ever. Yes, they do. And D'Lo Brown, Jeff Jarrett opens the show, I think. Yep. Is that the ah, the one where Deborah ends up walking down the ring with D'Lo, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because Deborah's basically wearing a napkin. Oh, oh, I've got to enjoy that one. Essentially, Deborah's wearing dental floss for the evening, yeah. (laughs) Um, Which is just why. Well, Um, 14-year-old June enjoyed that. I'm sure 14 year old, year, year old you and date, yeah. And it also contains the continuation of the greatest feud in history, Al Snow and the Big Boss Man over the Hardcore Championship. Oh, it's the, um, the bit where they end up in the bar. Ah, yeah, really yeah, it's, it's it's it, good, yeah. Is it the one where he ends up getting pinned at a pool table? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done this one for the pay-per-view project a couple of yeah, but about a year ago I think. Yeah, they, yeah, you did. But I just thought, you know, it's it's there's a lot to talk about in this show. Let's say that much. Oh, please, no, it's not the one where. Yeah, talking about Al Snow and Bossman, it's not the one where they're trying. To, no, this isn't the way. It's the month before yeah. where they're trying to do the spot. You're with, thinking with of, the golf you're, you're thinking the golf of fully loaded. Start. Yeah. <laughs> The golf buggy won't start. Yep. So they just go on. 30 seconds of like the boss man trying to start an ignition and it won't bother. So they just kind of go and just get her. Yep. <laughs> Great. So there you um, go. You can look forward to that. I'll see in days. If anyone wants your quick bit of news, by the way, about um, the draft for the WWE oh, upcoming, uh, by the way, they've announced that the changes will only take effect on October the 22nd, the night after Crown Jewel. Of course. So essentially, why not just do the draft after Crown Jewel? Because they're fucking yeah. idiots. Because we need to pop a rating. Mm. So On the anyway. subject of popping a rating, have you seen what's been added to Dynamite next week? Uh, Did you see the ladder match? Yes. Yes. I think this might be the return of the hangman. Probably. Oh, that'd be a big pop. It would be. It would make sense him having the, uh, you know, essentially equivalent of money in the bank. Yep, and basically he could take that to full gear. It's It can yeah. happen. Yeah, I'd take that. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. 
Because he took a, he's only taking time off because his wife's having a kid, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they're having a kid together, kind of thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. He so biologically speaking, his wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, words. You're on a roll tonight. Words. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> words, words, words. So <laughs> good. So good. So good. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Is that what you say after you get go. the paycheck? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's what I get after the. Yeah, it's it's all fine. It's all fine. Just always get some words. I can edit these things. It's just grand, articles grand. that just say I am a fish over and over again. Yeah, pretty much. That's what it's going to be. You know, you go around some art installations in a priest and just get me going. Blah, 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 blah. That'd be great. It'd be wonderful. Wow. Well, on that note. Our next show well, should be good. Summer Slam 92. Uh, 99. Jesus. I'm going to 92 if you want. Uh. I've got 92 on my brain. It's like all my, like, you know, uh, nails, Lex Luger, the tanker. Lex yeah. Luger's on your brain. Dirty, dirty boy. <laughs> it's the cars, man. They're just, they're just really, really cars. going to be like Bobby Heenan, aren't you? <laughs> I wish. Every day yeah. I wish I was like Bobby Heenan. What a man. Is that what we're going to end on? Just like, this is just... Yeah, the pet. Yeah, probably. Yeah, end on. Like, I think, probably. I think you should just end, like, the, the sort of post-credits. Uh, Audio should just be that promo. <laughs> the packs. Yeah. Thanks, done. Packs. Lemon packs. <laughs>